If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On this week's show, we'll commemorate the anniversary of the book Infinite Jest by the late author David Foster Wallace. We'll talk to the Chicago sports media mainstay Dan Bernstein, who not only considers Infinite Jest one of his favorite books of all time, but who also carried on a correspondence with the author. It's a very honest, very revealing interview that provides some really interesting perspectives on Wallace, his writing, who he was as a person, and even his sports fandom. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me is a leading sports media strategist who has worked for the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. He's smiling. He wants a shorter intro. He's never going to get it. It's Adam Willard. Adam, how are you? It would just get longer. The more more jobs I have, just get added to the list. I, I can I can go project to project if you want. I'm, I've been nominated as a board member for a local... Condo association? Well, no. Well, we'll talk about it some other time. How about cat owner? Board Can member? not bring that up anymore? <laughs> we'll, move, we'll move on. We'll move on. Also joining... I'm great, by the way. I've uh, been enjoying Chicago um, since the off-season has come about. I actually took my girlfriend to see Cabaret. So Gareth is someone... Who oh, I nice, consider nice. I consider very cultured. Uh, the first time that they've gone on their North American tour, and it was my girlfriend's Christmas present, and we had a great time. We've got well, Hamilton tickets coming up this week. The toughest ticket in, uh, if not New York, all of America. Oh how, yeah, how'd you get them? Uh, we bought them back in November. This is my wife and our, my Christmas present to each other. And we paid five hundo. <laughs> we 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 spent a lot of money, and just said this is all we'll get each other this year for Christmas. So that and a babysitter. There you go. That's uh, date night coming up this week. Hey well, Gareth, can you give me a master's? Can you get me on the master's credential list? Uh, I don't know that I can. Most people around here don't ask for that, but I do know somebody in Chicago who might be able to help you on that. Actually, let's. Hey. Adam, let's talk offline about that, all right? Okay, buddy. This is sports. We're not going to have this conversation Oops. at all on the show. As you heard, also with us in New York via satellite, a.k.a. a phone line, it is our Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are you tonight? Uh, doing great, man. I really Look, I'm going to spoil it to everybody. We don't actually tape this show live, as The Simpsons put it in the Poochie episode. It's a tremendous strain on the animator's wrist, uh, but we uh, have already taped this interview coming up in a little bit. I'm really excited about it. I love David Foster Wallace and his work, and it was just great to get to talk to somebody with such a unique and enthusiastic take as Dan Bernstein. So I'm excited to be doing this, man. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great interview. More on that to come. And also with us, our producer extraordinaire. Once again, without a mic, a Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, if you could say something, we sh- we're sure it would be super insightful. The facial expressions are excellent. 
Lots doesn't. of head nodding. They really it translate was, on radio, too. Yeah, right. is isn't very useful in this <laughs> medium. Getting to people who can talk, we're going to talk about our comment of the week. As you know, we are on iTunes. We always tell people, go to our iTunes, rate and review us, leave us a comment. If you leave us a show invite or someone you want us to talk to, we'll always read it on the air. But I want to do something a little different tonight. A couple weeks ago, we had on Dallas Mavericks forward Jeremy Evans, former Slam Dunk Contest winner. And artist extraordinaire, Jeremy won the NBA Talent Challenge, which um, at the time that this will air, will have uh, netted 14 Emmy Awards for technical achievement in sports. Uh, I cannot guarantee that, (laughs) but we're hoping. Because of Joe? (laughs) No, the the Talent Challenge. Oh, got it. Yeah, we are not up for Emmys. We are not on television, Adam. I don't know if you thought this was being broadcast. Not happening. Anyway, Jeremy Evans came on the show. He won the Talent Challenge with his artwork. He came on the show, and uh, I kind of busted his balls a little bit and said, hey, I'm on your Twitter. You should be posting artwork, like, all the time. Like, doodles, sketches, something or other. And he said, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I didn't think anything of it. We wrapped up. I'm at home later that night. I'm doing some work late night. I see a notification come in. Jeremy Evans tweeted right at Just Not Sports with a uh, an abstract painting and uh, just said, here we go. I'm, I'm getting on this. So I just think it's proof that we are changing lives. We are bringing the A game. Just Not changing Sports is- lives? We're changing the art world. Huh. We're, 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 getting, we're getting guys you know, connected with their fans. I love it. Connected with their fans, I'll agree uh, with. <laughs> well, I also think it, we're clearly starting a corporate art collection here, and Jeremy Evans' painting is the first part of it. So, Jeremy, let's let's talk. Let's get this into our large, stately building, and let's start the Just Not Sports collection. I'm into it. I'm into it. We, get, uh, we should talk to Desmond Mason, uh, former NBA player, Oklahoma State player. He's got an art show coming up in April in New York that, Gareth, you're going to probably have to go to and be our correspondent to. And I actually, we talked Not to Jeremy about it. issue. Yeah. No. We, we, we're all about it. So, all right. So, Desmond Mason, other people, another guy who needs to come on the show. Let's jump right into a few other invites, if you will. We call this section Slamming the Hammer. Because as you know, if you are an athlete or a member of the sports media and you express an interest in something publicly, it is our duty to shame you to come on the show and talk to us about it because we love it. So, Adam, who you want to slam the hammer to this week? Um, I think we've talked about what we love about working in sports or the relationships that we've made. And this is a guy who I haven't um, thought about in a, in a while but saw uh, on the Internet recently. Um, former NFL wide receiver Javon Walker um, played for the Packers, Broncos, and Raiders um, during his NFL career. Um, while in Denver, he uh, happened to be in the um, car when his teammate Darren Williams was shot and killed. Um, he later uh, was the victim of an assault in Vegas. He's in addition to what happens to these guys on the field, uh, he's gone through a heck of a lot off the field, but one of the the nicest and friendliest guys I've ever met in sports. And it turns out that Javon Walker is now involved with professional bodybuilding. So his football huh. career ended, mm-hmm. uh, and he is still pursuing an athletic interest. Um, I don't know exactly how much he weighs, but as a player um, – 
I think he was listed about 6'3", probably 220 at his heaviest, and he looks significantly heavier now. I'm curious to see um, how he took his mentality on the field and applied it to bodybuilding because certainly perseverance and attention to detail are equally important in that sport. So, Javon Walker, please join us on Just Not Sports. Please do. Um as the listeners can't tell, but I'm I'm 360 pure muscle. <laughs> I'm in the gym all the time. I only eat uh, raw steak and metrics powder, and uh, I just want to break down our, our style, uh, our workouts. Metrics, the, the chalk. Uh, Fast Willie, Fast Willie's favorite drink in any given Sunday. Oh yeah, those were the commercials, <laughs> right? Wow. Uh, Willie Beeman. Steaming Got Willie Beeman. Ladies, yeah. My name yeah. is Willie. Beaming, keep the girls screaming, and the f- yeah, and mm. it gets like more pro. Uh, uh, at some point, we're gonna do Metrics. a huge any given Sunday, any given Sunday special. We'll get Bill Bellamy back on. We'll get LT on. Gareth, you got his number on speed dial. Hello, Cool yep. J. It's it's happening. America, Jamie Fox. America, hold us to it. More hammers. Yes, there's some more hammers for your ass, <laughs> Gareth. Uh, <laughs> Gareth, who's your hammer this week? Uh, we all had a good laugh at it this past December when I threw the hammer down to Chuck Connors, the rifleman himself, who is no longer with us. But to me, growing up, I remember watching the rifleman with my dad and him telling me that, you know, Chuck Connors, who's the star of this, used to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And that really resonated with me. To me, it was sort of the start of a Just Not Sports lifestyle. So Brad gave me a hard time. It was sort of a new rule was that most of our hammers should be living. Uh, I guess I don't disagree. Dead people don't make the best radio. But with that in mind, what I would love to do, I want to throw the hammer down to Quentin Tarantino to come on and talk, do a deep dive on The Rifleman. That show, the more research I do in it, uh, Don Drysdale did guest spots on it. Duke Snyder did a guest spot on it. Sam Peckinpah got his start on it. Tarantino was clearly a Peckinpah fan. Uh, There were guest stars from such people as Dennis Hopper. So, look, Quentin Tarantino is is one of the great living scholars of American film, television, and motion picture. He's a pop culture savant. And I think he's the kind of guy, in lieu of Chuck Connors, the rifleman himself, He's the guy that can come on and give us the proper context and deep dive for the rifleman, which meant so much to me growing up. So, Quentin Tarantino, come on, just not sports. This is like the third time you've mentioned Chuck Connors in your hammers. I, I'm half expecting to like open up the New York Daily News in a few weeks and find a picture of you like having dug up his body, just like <laughs> staring into the camera, like Chuck Connors, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little Nothing. gross that's a little gross um yeah, well, gonna go ahead maybe. and say he's probably been dead about 40 years at this point yeah uh but it is what it is look uh i'm telling but like i said though that show was what i don't know kind of turned me on to the just not sports lifestyle that we're trying so hard to live here guys you know that's what really that was the moment in my youth when it was like, you can be about sports and so many other things at the same time. So, yeah, no, I'm all, I'm all about it. So my hammer guys is what in the biz 
Joe Reed calls a callback. Hamilton mentioned earlier, it's the number one ticket in New York, even, even greater than the Nets or the Knicks right now. And you mean you'd rather see Hamilton than Porzingis? I don't I would it. I would see Porzingis in Hamilton. That needs to happen. Mm. Actually, I did I did tweet uh the guy who's um running Hamilton. Gareth, help me with his name again. Lynn Manuel Miranda. I, yes, I, I emailed or I tweeted at him and suggested he he cast Eddie George as the uh um in the touring, uh, the inevitable touring version of this, Eddie George, who's currently starting yeah. on Broadway in Chicago. So I'd love to talk to Eddie George. Uh, more so, I I would love to talk to Greg Popovich and uh, Kawhi Leonard from the Spurs. So they were photographed by a fan who is at Hamilton and recognized Kawhi Leonard and Greg Popovich. I encourage everyone to Google this photo. And it's just the funniest it's the funniest thing because Kawhi is just taking like a fan pick and he's just kind of staring at the camera like in that way that athletes stare at the camera when someone's like, oh, hey, can we get a photo? And before they even know it, like the phone is ready. It's just like selfie being being taken. And it's just like, oh, hilarious. Like these guys were in New York and of course Popovich would go see Hamilton and and of course like the players would come with them. So I would love to hear a little bit more about I'm looking at these photos. They're yeah. fantastic. Greg they, Popovich looks thrilled. <laughs> they are they are fantastic photos. I'd be curious to know if that face that he's making that makes it seem so tortured from the selfie is at all indicative of his experience at Hamilton or if he actually had a good time. So Kawhi, Greg Popovich, come on. Let's talk about it. And also, um, there's a ton of other media that are now making the pilgrimages out to New York to to see Hamilton. So I'm sure there are going to be a lot more people tweeting about it and showcasing uh, how they feel about the play. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dan Bernstein. Um, always have loved Dan Bernstein's work in Chicago. He's been a mainstay on sports radio, uh, writes columns for CBSSports.com in Chicago, CBS Chicago. I just want to kind of preface, this is a little bit of a different interview for us. A lot of times we're kind of goofing around with the guys. Uh, instead, you know, this is the 20th anniversary of the publishing of Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, the late author, tragically killed himself. Uh, Dan had a, a long correspondence with the author that started in a shared sense of sort of sports fandom and mutual respect and turned into something that uh, we think reveals a lot about just, you know, the humanity behind a, a person who's being revered as a, uh, a an American genius. So we encourage everyone to stick around, uh, check it out. We will be right back with that uh, in a minute. Joining us on the show right now is Dan Bernstein. Dan is the co-host of the Boars and Bernstein show on 670 The Score in Chicago, and he also writes regular columns for CBSChicago.com. I've always considered Dan to be one of the most intellectual voices in sports talk, the kind of guy who regularly hangs up on callers who are spouting off useless superstition about billy goats, bear weather, and the fire and the passion. So it's really no surprise to me that... Um, Dan's favorite book, as uh, he's talked about it publicly, is Infinite Jest, the long and complex masterpiece by the late author David Foster Wallace. And what a lot of people might not know is that Dan is not just a fan of Wallace. The two actually shared a correspondence that began several years ago before the author's passing. So today we're going to talk to Dan about overall David Foster Wallace's importance, Infinite Jest, and perhaps a little bit about their correspondence. So Dan, thank you for joining the show. You know, it's the 20th anniversary of the book's publication 
And there's been a lot of writing and commentary that's come out in the last few weeks about um, the book's overall cultural significance. How would you rate its you know, Infinite Jest cultural impact um, uh, in the literary community and then just, I guess, society in general? Oh, I don't. It might be uh, above my station to speak to that, but it's more to me the way I hear Wallace's voice in our internet and text conversations that has become the way we talk to each other, the way we talk to strangers, the way we talk to our loved ones, the way we are our, our kids, our wives in general, with all with creative abbreviations and at, at times, ironically for Wallace, an economy of words, because he used a lot of words, but every word and every piece of punctuation meant something. So I, I think I'm mindful of his voice in a lot of conversations via ways that, frankly, he wasn't all that comfortable with, that he didn't like email. He, he was a bit of a Luddite when it came to some of that stuff. Yet, in, in the way Internet commentary, and I don't mean comments, I mean Internet writing mm-hmm. is now, there's a lot of the, the, the self-referential tone, the self-questioning tone, frankly, the snark, and and some of the the generalized knowingness as much as knowledge, but it's a little bit of that. Hey, you know, I might be wrong here, but and I may say this now, but I'm sub-referencing this here to something I wrote before or after that, and hyperlinking things. There's a little bit of of Wallaceness in general communication, and I think that it's something that he might be embarrassed about. I, that he might have not wanted this to be the way conversation occurs, even though it's a lot of what he did on the printed page and with the written word. It's it's funny that you mentioned that, Dan, you know, we, as we were taping the podcast last week, I actually referenced his uh, video phone segment from infinite Jess as we were using that to communicate back and forth. And Brad saw a lot of my knee hair that he probably didn't want to see. And I was like, oh, there's a guy writing about this 20 years ago. But you, you, he's a guy that wrote a masterpiece that we're celebrating that's probably uh, one of the most important books I've read in my life that was a million words long. But at the same time, you keep referencing conversation. And with that in mind, I'd really like to hear about how your correspondence began, because for somebody who he is such he was such a master of the written word, the fact that you guys were able to interface based off radio, I think, is really interesting. And he seemed for a guy. I mean, you mentioned the Luddite thing. I recall reading an interview with him where he said, no, I don't have a television because I would just watch it all the time. It wasn't. uh it wasn't a put on for him. It was just sort of to protect himself from falling into that trap. And so I, I kind of wanted to hear about that conversational aspect of your relationship and how that began through the radio. Well, it's, it, let's, let's start with when I first picked up his work and that was in uh, 93 or 94. I was in <clears> an <throat> airport and I, and I grabbed the collection, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Mm -hmm. And he hooked me from the first graphs of the first essay about playing tennis in Illinois, because it had a couple things there. It it had the fact that he was from downstate Illinois, 
the fact that it was about sports, a really knowledgeable sports essay. And it was this voice that reminded me of things that the, the, the sometimes frenetic and sometimes overly detailed stuff that I would hear in my head, minus the ability to do derivative calculus while, while computing the vector of a topspin lob. <laughs> so I and all of a sudden I just voraciously consumed that that book, that collection over and over and over and over again and told everybody I knew about it, made my parents read it, and for the most part I got kind of a collective, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> and I I I had infinite jest waiting and waiting and waiting, and I just did I never crossed. I, I it was so intimidating to me to see that book. I'm like, God, am I really going to do this? And I knew I had to. And, and I started in, and at the same time, my little sister, who now is uh, editorial director at Fast Company Magazine, at the time she was movie editor of Premiere Magazine, and mm-hmm. I mentioned Wallace to her, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm working with him on an essay for Premiere. And I thought, what? You know David, you talked to David Foster Wallace? And she said, oh, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's really easy to work with where he's doing a, a big, long essay for us. So I said, this is going to sound really weird, but could you, you know, uh, get an address for him or just a place where I could send him a note? She said, sure. So by the time those conversations occurred, I was into infinite chess. And I've mm-hmm. got my two bookmarks and I've got my, you know, my endnote bookmark. And I was big on reading all of the endnotes word for word upon the annotation and not skipping and doing everything per the process that is described in the book by the, by the number of notes. I was really a very, very technical and, and very specific in, about making sure I did that. So you, well, know, I got you referenced that hyperlinking a minute ago. I mean, it, it was, it's a hyperlinked novel yes. such that it was yes. able to be in 1996. So correct. You can, you go through the equivalent of internet wormholes in this, in this cubist nonlinear narrative which we can probably get into a little bit later on in the interview. But, you know, reading, reading, reading. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, um, I sent a note to him. And I said, Dear Mr. Wallace, uh, my name is Dan Burson. My sister is working with you. I just want to tell you I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm immensely enjoying Infinite Jest. And it, it, it was coincidental at the time. I had just had an eye injury playing basketball. And they prescribed me Vicoprofen. And I made her, and, and I and, and I and I mentioned that, and I put a a superscript one, and then wrote at the bottom of the note the actual chemical makeup of vicoprofen. On, on Which, the to any to any of our listeners, I have to say, just if you read in Infinite Jest, there are a lot of these sorts of uh, hyper annotated and broken down to the molecular level. Uh, descriptions of drugs and specifically painkillers. It's a novel that deals with addiction to a large degree and uh, things like that. So sorry to jump in there. So I, so I sent it thinking nothing. Meanwhile, here comes back this letter, very (laughs) finely typed, single spaced, uh, fastidious typing filled with hand scribbled marginal notes. And arrows and, and lines drawn into the into the typing, and he mm-hmm. mentions he, his first line. He said, "I'm a huge fan of your show." <laughs> he said, 
And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And he mentioned, he said, I recently had to get rid of my television for reasons I'd rather not describe. And okay. he starts talking about how much, how much Chicago radio he's listening to. He's a huge Bears fan, like a crazy meatball Bears fan. And had a ton, it was basically questions. And he had all mm-hmm. the questions. Where did, where did this guy Mike North come from? And <laughs> why did they make Gail Sayers broadcast from Hooters? And he just, he had, a, he had more questions about radio and about, he's asking about Tommy Williams. He's asking about Mike Murphy. And he just, he <laughs> wanted to know. He had, he had all these questions about it and some sportsy questions as well. And at the very end of the note, and he said, I, I really want to tell you, please be careful with mycoprofen because even though the, the Vicodin is metabolized through the kidneys. The ibuprofen metabolizes through the liver, and taking too much of it can be very bad for you. Uh, you're a fan. Yeah, there, was, there was a lot more to it than that. You know, and I, I answered all his questions. I was so excited, and I sat down. It took me. I wanted to make sure he's going to be reading this. So, I'm like, wow, he's going to read this letter. I'm sending him to his home address, and he, and it was it was really very fun. And after that, he wrote back. He sent me a package with. Uh, a book by Don DeLillo in it. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. book? Called Enz, Enz, it's Endzone, the the nuclear holocaust the nuclear football mix. book. Yeah, Right. And he said, you'll love this. It's the hoot. And it, it, so I, I sent him a thank you note after that. And there was mostly a couple of postcards here and there. When he went to Pomona, he sent me a postcard. And then we corresponded with little sports things. And he asked me questions about the Bears because he was really into it, but uh, it was to, to actually hear his really genuine curiosity about something as silly as sports radio. And I guess it, 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 it arrived and I understood a little bit later when in consider the lobster, when you saw the piece that he did on that loon, John Ziegler about talk yes. radio and about yes. what, what that was. And, and I understood yes. that maybe there was maybe some concurrent, curiosity there but he's he was just a just kind of a really nice dude and and never evinced any deep level of sadness even though you know his history was well known and his struggles were well known but just like a a very very cool guy who wanted to know stuff and was pleased to be talking to somebody i like that you said that about his sadness because that's like, look, it's unfortunate at this point that it's hard to talk about him without sort of talking about uh, his end and to get into a conversation like this about him and to get that sort of tone, I find to be really refreshing because I also think it does his work a disservice that you start to reread everything through the lens of his depression. Now, sure that's in there, and frankly, I've gone to his work and his fiction, like in when I need some guidance on the world. At the same time, I think it, I don't want to say it lessens it, but it, it, it takes away a huge aspect of his work, the humor, the humanity, um, and some of the, the curiosity when you, it's not work that I think you should funnel into any one particular lane. And it's much better when it's expansive. So I'm really glad you said that. See, I, I think his work, and when, when you talk about both fiction and nonfiction, and this is what I, what Infinite Jest sort of did for me. You know, I went to college with guys who, really smart people, I'm talking fellow English majors, who would, would do mushrooms or acid once a year. 
And mm-hmm. that was like, they, they, they call it like a, a spring cleaning. I guess it's the the equivalent of running a, the defragmentation on your hard drive or running C-Cleaner on your PC and, and trying to delete cookies and temporary internet files and that kind of thing. And they would just do that. And uh, try, it didn't have the same effect for me. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it, but, but I, I never got the same kind of reboot that everybody claimed some of these things did for you. But for me, reading Infinite Jest and reading Wallace, no matter the subject matter, his voice and his perceptions accomplished the same goal for me, where I would find myself, and, and still do when I reread, I find myself looking at the world a little bit differently and resetting almost to like, to use another computer analogy, a restore point. Where it's like, all right, okay. Right. Even if even if it's his speech to Kenyon, which has taken on a life of its own in some really syrupy and silly and almost quasi religious ways that I think are unfortunate. Because he's right. he's not an oracle. He's not he's not some kind of, of, of new age preacher for and that wasn't the point of that speech. But Well and that speech it, comes from a great scene in Infinite Jeff that has some really body jokes in it and some really mm-hmm. hardened characters, you know? So I think I agree with you. It does a disservice. It takes some of the like life out of it when there's, you know, there's a really gross joke in there that I'll never forget that's wrapped up in that scene. So by taking all that stuff away, I agree. It gives it a sort of quasi religious a- aspect that is not great. So sorry to interrupt. I have, I have thought. No, but I, I, I spoke. You know. No, I, I know. I just, I, I, to, to me, when I, when you go back and read little bits of Infinite Jest, it's, it's like you say, you can look at some of these, these pieces within it, almost like pulling a couple musical numbers out of a, out of a grandiose concert, where they're fun in and of themselves, but the, the process one puts oneself through is starting on one end, emerging on the other your brain just isn't the same and it's certainly temporarily. And I think one could make the argument that it's never quite the same once you've been through that, because there's always something passively still trying to make sense of it. I've been on, I've been in the, the you know, lurking in forums where people are talking about it. I, I know I have people who have read it and said, well, what did you just make me read? What was mm-hmm. that? And I always say, I'm not really sure. I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be sure. And I, I'm not in a position to judge its significance, but I can just judge its significance to me. And it's, its size, its scope. When you go from addiction to tennis to, to the, the eschaton and, and the, the end of the world and the nonlinear nature of it that keeps it from being of a place or a time, even though it is in a very specific place at a very specific time, it never feels that you're never rooted there. That it's got some value itself in being a place to go to, to get into those neural pathways again. Mm-hmm. Dan, when I think about David Foster Wallace's writing, in terms of writing on sports, I think about you know the elegance of describing Roger Federer. I think about trying to get into the mindset of Tracy Austin and her very dull memoir and asking really poignant questions about, you know, are we learning something through the, you know, this this kind of hilariously terrible book about the nature of athletics. I think about him through that lens and I'm having a hard time 
processing David Foster Wallace as like, as you said, meathead bears fan. Cause I listened to your show. I know that fan's voice and I know, and, and I almost find it surprising that he would, um, like professional football in a way that, that, that he'd be drawn someone who writes so beautifully about tennis. You know, what is it about the, about the NFL that would get them kind of ramped up? Can you talk at all about what his specific thoughts were on football and what his, how would you gauge his fandom for the bears? I, we didn't get into a lot of specifics, but I, I don't think we need to hold him to some sort of unnatural standard right. to think that this brilliant guy couldn't just be a fan. Yeah. I think he, I think he just kind of liked the bears and liked watching football. And it, it seems to me that even though we view him through the prism of what, of his writing, that he, he could have, I don't want to use the term turn it off because that was part, you know, part of the problem. But I, I, I do think he had remarkable compartmentalization skills where he knew what he could like and, and how he liked it. And I, I don't think I'm, I, I don't think I'm doing too much guesswork there where it, I just never read too much into it other than he really enjoyed the bears and, and he, <laughs> it didn't seem like he was over analyzing them in any way or trying to make, he never was trying to make sense of it. Maybe because, because football is so naturally physical and elemental and outside of the X's and O's that, that it's, it's about people running into each other and, and gladiatory representative sport. Yeah, and that's a good point when you talk about putting him on this pedestal and not allowing his humanity, his everyday humanity, to sort of ring true. To that, to that point, I guess I would say he has become his. He has spawned his own cottage industry. I mean, just looking at the 20th anniversary commentary around Infinite Jest, everybody wants to have a new take, something else to talk about when it comes to David Foster Wallace. He's reached that icon status. Do people approach you to try to unearth, you know? the letters from you or do you feel like you're sitting on this kind of unseen kind of repository or treasure or insights into, into this man? Or are you content with just saying, Hey, this is a personal correspondence and I'm fine keeping it between us. For the moment, I'm fine keeping it between us. I mean, he's just a guy. He's yeah. just a terrific writer, a brilliant guy, a terrific writer, a respected teacher, but in a lot of ways, unbelievably normal. It's, I mean, this, this wasn't some guy with, with a stilt house in Malibu or a penthouse in New York. He's from downstate Illinois. You know, I, this is, I, I ran into, out of nowhere, I was, uh, it was at a charity function, and a, a, a woman sought me out. She's probably, oh, probably 50 years old. And she came over and introduced herself. And she was a high school tennis teammate of David Foster Wallace. And we sat down and talked for a good 20 minutes. And she just told stories about their long, endless trips in cars and vans to playing travel tennis from the time they were younger to the time they were on the same high school team. And she said he was just you always wanted to be on the rides when, when they were going, traveling to God knows where across the downstate Illinois, because she said it was so interesting and so much fun. And he was, he was the guy you wanted to be around where people have this image of him as some sort of 
difficult or 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 introspective to the point of not being expressive. And that was her point to me was that she wanted that. She said she she has sensed that that posthumously he's take his his life has taken on some aspects that she said were weren't really true to him that part of what he wanted to be was just a normal nice guy and he failed at it sometimes and he knew that he had some powers that other people didn't have and tried to always use them toward good but it was really important to her to let me know that he was just a terrific guy I like what you said there about using his powers toward good because that's what I uh, as somebody who loves Infinite Jest and comes back to it often I find that that's um, Michael Peach just did an interview with the New York Times book review on the 20th anniversary of uh, Infinite Jest and the publication of that edition. I listened to that today and kind of prepping for this because as we both said, we haven't read the book itself in about a de- I haven't read it in about a decade and it, it's a commitment. It's going to take up space in your life as you put it. And it was a book that I found I missed when it ended uh, but he described it as a very funny book about very sad people. But, you know, if you look that empathy there, there, there's real empathy there that I don't think I've found in much that I've ever read. And I've read a fair amount. And, um, the other thing is I've read a fair amount of Dave, David Foster Wallace's interviews and then to your point about liking the bears, I, I've never heard an author stump so hard for Tom Clancy as that guy did, <laughs> you know, he, he, yeah. he went hard on populist fiction in a way that would really surprise a lot of people. And I think he always maintained that this was supposed to be an entertaining and interesting book for people who like to read challenging fiction. I don't think he set out to fuck with anybody. I mean, he was going to make it hard and, um, but it's not, impenetrable it there's reason there it's funny and so i like that your correspondence sort of echoes that and that's what came through it's just the sense of yeah i'm also a, a guy who chews tobacco and likes bears games so go with that well i just i, I just uh, don't think i don't think his machine was tuned for pretense I think he. I think he saw pretense as an in large part an unnecessary nuisance and that it almost bothered him that it was the pretense was projected upon him, which comes naturally to a literary giant, and it's almost mm-hmm. assumed. And maybe he went the other way a little bit. That maybe he tried to say, "Okay, yeah, I grow my beard out, my long hair, my headband, and you know, I'll just sit and talk with you, and I'll you know, spit in the bottle when I talk with you, all that stuff." That maybe some of that was was, and, I, and, and I'm I'm just guessing, but maybe some pushback against what people thought somebody with his kind of instrument was supposed to be when he just he never. I don't think he asked for that kind of ability. And I don't know that he, that he enjoyed it all the time, but I, it does, it always seems like it mattered to him to try to be normal. So I have to ask you, cause you're on the phone. You are a sports talk radio host in Illinois. His, the first essay in his first essay collection is about tennis. His greatest masterpiece has tennis at its center. 
That first essay is also about Illinois. It features the line, to your average outsider, central Illinois looks ideal for sports. So to kind of drill down on it, how do, and to use terrible 21st century language like drill down that he would probably roll his eyes at, I would hope. Uh, how do you feel he did as a either fiction or non as a sports writer and as someone who captured Illinois? It's an interesting question because I, a college professor of mine was adamant about this. And he says, there is no such thing as sports writing. Hmm. And too often there are, there are students who would say, Oh, I want to be a sports writer. And he said, no, you want to be a writer. And when you are a writer, you can write about anything that there, he, he always said this because I, and I was one of these kids and he had to beat it out of me. Stop talking about sports writing. He said, I'm going to teach you how to write. I cannot teach you how to sports write. I will teach you how to cover a board of education meeting, a city council meeting, or a, a, a public protest on the square in the exact same way that you would be covering a game. Think the story, describe, don't characterize, etc. So I think, I think if, if, if Wallace wanted to, to write art, if he wanted to write business, that it's, I have to go with what, uh, what my professor Ken Udy said at Duke, that writing is writing, and it just whatever you're writing about, you're writing about. Yeah, Dan, I mean, to, you know, as, we, as we get ready to close the interview, and thank you for being so candid and open with us um, you know, for, for so long. You you know we we've kind of talked very candidly about how Infinite Jest is a challenging work, and there might be people who listen to this who say, "Wow, I'm in- I'm intrigued, but I'm not quite ready for the thousand page, um, you know, doorstop uh, with a uh, hundred pages of, of footnotes." What what would you say would be good sort of first steps into Wallace for people who might be curious, who might maybe gravitate towards sports writing? I mean, I know um, Consider the Lobster has a lot of his um, interesting essays, including some sports writing, but where would you start either with his books or maybe just Googling some of his other works that, that are published um, to point people to, to start to explore Wallace's writing? I would start with the title essay of the first compilation. The actual work of supposedly fun thing I will never do again. And it's just David Foster Wallace on a boat telling you what he sees and feels. And if you read that and you're not hooked, then I can't help you. <laughs> I, I like that. And also, what would you say to people who are trying to get to know him through the movie? And what do you think? Like, do you have any? I mean, I look, I, we're not going to speculate on <clears throat> on what he would have thought about that, but. I do think it's a little fascinating to think what he would have thought about a movie being made about him, just given how much he he dove into topics of media and and the you know our perceptions of what we see through media. I have not seen the movie because I haven't wanted to. Right. Maybe there will come a time when I want to. Uh, it's sort of the reason I never saw the movie Miracle because the the actual consumption of the miracle on ice when I was in sixth grade was so important to me and so special that I didn't want it sort of disnified, but he would have a field day because remember, <laughs> remember how much he writes, how much, how much he writes about one watching oneself and how 
One's reaction to what one is seeing is another way of watching oneself. For him to think of him watching that movie and taking so much of his theoretical and then fleshing it out into into the literal is is mind blowing. I can I, I can only imagine what short circuiting could possibly occur when he sees a, it's sort of what he has discussed in abstract become real. I. Uh... I met Troy Patterson uh, in my neighborhood and he had done a slate podcast years ago on infinite Jess, And we talked about that because he had my favorite line in the whole podcast where he said, you know, underworld coheres as a traditional novel, but I've stopped reading it and I've stopped caring that I haven't finished it. Infinite Jess does not cohere as a traditional novel, but it changes the way I view it the world when I read it. And I think that's the whole that summed it up perfectly to me. Like I agree with you 100. percent It is like a psychedelic drug in that it will change your chemistry and change the way you look at things afterward. So, so re- remember the drug that's referenced. It's, I think it's DMX, which he describes as as if it's like acid to the power of acid, as if right, acid right. itself were on acid. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's what uh, right. Hal's meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. When Hal's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, he's saying I'm in here and nobody can hear him. So it's possible. And I've always thought that that was a thematic statement in its own way about the book mm. that, that infinite jest was sort of Wallace to the power of Wallace, that it's, it's all of him times or you know, it times itself. And it right. helps. It helped me see it in that way. That sure he's talking about some some made up psychedelic drug, but then to bring it back around, you think about how I was describing the effect that the book has, and it makes a little bit of sense that that's how it's supposed to feel. That it's it's Wallace to the power of Wallace. Yeah. Well, Dan, I, it's fat. We could talk all night, but we got to let you go. You're on the roadside. <laughs> you need to get home. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for the time. You, I, I think I'm the only. You think I'm the only guy pulled over on the north side of Chicago discussing infinite jest with a bunch of guys right now? You, you're the. I, I said this after the only time I ever heard you talk about this on air. I believe was after um, Wallace passed, and you briefly recounted the connection um, on the show. And I remember uh, calling Gareth, my co-host here, and just being like, the, "The the sports station I listen to, like they're the only station in the history of sports talk radio that's dropping David Foster Wallace uh, bombs on the air." Uh, we've always had an appreciation of the intellectual side you bring to sports. I, a personal anecdote, Dan. Um, years ago, I was a reporter in Peoria. Uh, I ran their entertainment section, and I put Boris and Bernstein on my best of list uh, for the year. I made a crack about how the, the in Peoria, the show always tuned in and out depending on the weather. And I said, if you ever saw a car at a stoplight going back and forth, it was probably me just trying to like tune you in during the second half or something. And I remember you emailing me and saying, you know, some listeners pointed it out. And you thanked me, and I was—I thought that was really nice. So it was 2005, and it was in the middle of the Grossman Orton um, back and forth that was raging every day, where mm-hmm. Orton had won all those games, but Grossman was clearly a superior quarterback. So I remember emailing you back and saying, "You know, Dan, I, I always love the show, and and you guys are always—I I always consider you the Grossman to the other guys, Orton." And now I remember a year later being like. I hope he didn't think I was ripping him. Like both those guys wound up not being very good. I really <laughs> did mean it as a compliment in 2005. It worked, Dan. It worked. 
I'm a huge Rex fan still to this day. We were trying to track him down too because he's he's another really good dude. I, and we were we were trying to get him on the show or see if he wanted to you know, be a regular football contributor for us if he wasn't busy you know, eating or something. Yeah. No, no, definitely, uh, definitely no, no insult taken. Good. And Kyle Orton is going to be our neckbeard uh, correspondent on Just Not Sports, too. So we got a nice dichotomy there. There you, you go. Know what? You, you seriously should talk to him about politics. Oh, Kyle Orton? He is a very, oh, yeah. Kyle is a very active and informed, old fashioned Iowa Democrat. His, his, Dad, I want to say, I believe was, I don't know if it was elected or appointed position, but he was head of, of the state's OSHA office, I think, or the equivalent of that. But he's he's got a, a politically connected family, and the stories about him and Joe Tiller at Purdue, that Joe Tiller was sort of a rock-ribbed conservative, and he and Orton would have these long arguments in his office with Orton, a very a hippie liberal, and he, he tells stories about Tiller tells stories about it still. He, you guys would probably have fun with Kyle. Yeah, we actually oh, talked. Awesome. We had Deadspin's uh, founder Will Leach on to talk politics because he just started writing uh, for Bloomberg. So um, yeah, I think that sounds great. We, we should. We will definitely reach out to Kyle. So thank you for the recommendation. Well, well, it's my pleasure and my pleasure being here. This is really fun. Yeah, Dan, this was a blast. Thank you so much. Today's show is sponsored by The Weatherneck. We spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter The Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high-tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors, and the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. It removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate, the types of people I would trust. Go to theweatherneck.com for more information or to place an order. Theweatherneck.com. So, Gareth, first things first, we should apologize for Adam not shutting up at all during that interview. <laughs> Listen, guys, some of times these interviews uh, I like to take as a learning opportunity. I didn't know much about David Foster totally Wallace. I don't always need to get myself in there, like some people. Uh, so I thought <laughs> I would take an opportunity to sit back, learn a little something. And I will tell you that I am inspired to uh, do some reading this weekend. I thought it was a very inspiring interview in a lot of ways. Gareth, um, you clearly were driving a lot of that conversation. You were a English literature major in college, you have a vast appreciation and knowledge of David Foster Wallace. Just, I'm curious from your perspective, have you, have you met a lot of other people in your various business or personal life who have corresponded or interacted with Wallace? And, and, and 
Well, I guess let me start there. Have you have you known people who are in dance position who can comment on on them from a personal perspective? Yeah, none who um, who sort of knew him and corresponded like that. The correspondence is what makes it interesting. I mean, like Dan is wise and it's a personal thing and you hold on to that. But it's sort of funny that he's somebody who's so revered that at a certain point, some of those letters also become scholarship. You know, like all of his uh, papers were given to the University of Texas Library. I believe it's the Ransom Center. I don't know the exact name and it's not worth looking it up to hear typing on this, but you know, like that sort of stuff, uh, an author's correspondence becomes important to getting an idea for scholarship and, uh, the thinking behind some of their, their writing and thought process. And frankly, for a guy like Foster Wallace, uh, I think sports is a really good window into that. Um, I loved what Dan said about sports writing vis-a-vis just good writing at the same time, You know, like his first major essay was uh, the one the first essay and a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again is about tennis. And the last major piece of writing he published was an essay about tennis for The New York Times magazine on Roger Federer. And in between you had his masterwork, which was largely about tennis. I mean, this was a guy who uh, also in Infinite Jest, uh, Hal, the tennis prodigy, his brother is a punter for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, This is a guy that looked at American life as we were living it. And sports was a really big part of that. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy sports and you're looking for somebody who had a view of it and just an interesting view on the world, you could do no better than picking up and reading David Foster Wallace. I mean, for all the challenges for the length and uh, for as as I don't want to say verbose, but as 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 challenging as it can be, it's also very revealing and very funny and very entertaining. So I think that's what made it so special. And frankly, what makes it so appropriate for something like this, it, there are sports run through his entire oeuvre. So, yeah. And look, we started this show because we work with people in the sports world, athletes, media, um, other professionals, executives at teams and leagues. And inevitably, when we talk about sports, you just kind of see the eyes glaze over. It's their job. And I know people don't want to hear that. Hardcore fans don't want to hear that. It's work. And and that's okay. It's okay to compartmentalize work. We get excited when people can either reveal a piece of themselves that maybe you don't always know, or Adam, you mentioned it's a learning opportunity for us to talk about a topic. I, I've not read Infinite Jest. I don't pretend to be a, a Wallace scholar. I find it fascinating that someone I listen to on the radio talking about the Bears and the Bulls and the Blackhawks uh, so intelligently was also engaged in a correspondence with someone who is rapidly being treated as the Mark Twain of our time. Instead of a shout out this week in, you know, to sort of honor what we just talked about with Dan Bernstein, could we just do uh, a recommendation of any book? And as we said, with David Foster Wallace, you can find plenty of stuff on the internet where he is recommending Stephen King and Tom Clancy all the way up through Franz Kafka. So I would just want to hear any recommend any book to close this week. All right, you go first because I was not prepared, but I'll think of something. Uh, Oh, you know, yeah, I think there some of that is the 
spontaneity of it and just uh, tr- kind of getting enjoying the moment after that interview. The, uh, the book I'm going to recommend is actually uh, my favorite crime novel I've ever read to sort of honor that spirit. You've heard me be super nerdy and literary. Uh, I think everyone should read The Friends of Eddie Coyle by George V. Higgins. Um, took place in Boston in the 70s. It grabs you from the opening sentence. I read it and I just thought to myself, holy shit, this is where the wire came from. This sort of all-encompassing view of the criminal underworld and an entire city from a criminal all the way up to the DAs who will be prosecuting him. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, no, uh, Norman Mailer was famously said to have read it and said, oh, damn, he wrote the best crime novel and he was the fuzz because Higgins had been a DA in Boston back in the 70s. So my recommendation in lieu of a shout out would be The Friends of Eddie Coyle by George V. Higgins. All right. Nice. Adam? Uh, be, before you, and don't juggle at this, but honestly, my favorite book of all time, I've read it twice, probably two and a half times and still go through it every once in a while. But uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, I th- think is... Uh, as fascinating a book as I've ever read, not because I necessarily necessarily supported his political stand, political or religious stances, but because I think it is uh, the perfect picture of determinism and how we'd like to all think that we have a choice in where we end up in life. But as you walk mm-hmm. through um, the story of his life, his upbringing, his father's beliefs, um, his mother's background and then you see him as the leader of the nation of islam it it was almost like he didn't have any other choice but to get to that position despite all the twists and turns his life took um and then inevitably um all of those things leading to his death i think it's a fascinating book i love anything that alex haley writes including um roots and um several other works but also, the process that Alex Haley went through to write that book, I just, I love it. Um, it actually was done pretty well as a movie, uh, in case you don't want to read. But uh, I would recommend anyone <laughs> go read read that book, one of the great American um, biographies. The Spike Lee movie is fantastic, though. I will say, I, it's, I was actually thinking about this recently because we were, um, I don't know who I was talking to, but at some point, it, Malcolm X came up. Oh, maybe I was listening to a podcast about Oscar... Oscar contenders who kind of got screwed Oscar over. Oscar snubs. Yeah, and Denzel's <laughs> performance in that just is, I think, yeah. his 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 ultimate performance and that it lost a scent of a woman is just kind of, like, ridiculous the to me. The fact that he won for training day uh, and not versus playing Malcolm, Malcolm X, X, X is like, okay. a total slap in the face. I know. Right. Well, it's, it's a good thing that Oscars have corrected their long, complicated <laughs> history with race, and that all got figured out uh, <laughs> since training day. Um, <laughs> Gareth, my, my book... Um, I'm going to throw out two real quick. The The first is the book Gareth gave me on my wedding day, uh, which is Friday Night Lights, an autograph version by H.G. Bissinger. In this era, it's it's a little bit of a loaded title to throw out because people know Friday Night Lights from the TV show, mm-hmm. which is very kind of inspiring and uplifting. Or maybe they saw the movie, which was um, kind of, I think, glossed over a lot of the complications of the of the of the story to tell a more inspiring football story. It's an, it's an amazing book. I, I was a reporter. I, I love this type of immersive journalism. Uh, back before H.D. Bissinger was um, sort of a, a, 
a, a, just a professional personality in media. Um, he really dove into this town and told the story of it. It's, it gets very candid about the complications between the community and the and race and class um, and the struggle there. I, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, both as a as an inspiring football story and as a cautionary tale about uh, leaning too hard on on sort of a false sense of uh, community pride uh, out of desperation. The other one I'll throw out there is um, The Guns of August, one of my favorite books on World War One. And actually one day, you know, kind of a mini hammer, I want to get Roger Bennett of the Men in Blazers on. He's a known World War One um, reader, uh, follows a lot of talks about World War One poetry all the time on his podcast. Uh, it's all about the first month of World War I and how the clash of generations, men who fought in the 1890s, um, you know, with these 20-year-in-the-making these, these battle plans they thought would, would win a war in a month, um, marching an entire generation of young men into um, a coming storm of industrialization that they just could not fathom at all. So I, I, really, I really think that's a great primer to World War I. Um, Reminds me once of being at a table with an athlete and and some people at work, and we talked about we were talking about things that inspire us. And I said, World War One really inspires me in terms of just what the people went through. And oh man, freaking crickets! Like people were like, okay, <laughs> we were gonna say like we, you know, we love this TV show. What are you talking about? Uh, but anyway, it's a good read. Anyway, good idea, Gareth. So a little bit of change in format, but it was a little bit of a different uh, tone. We don't want to be all somber. I mean, Dan Bernstein is a really insightful guy. I mean, I think this is a different topic because david foster wallace unfortunately took his own life the, the whole thing kind of takes on but i think he did a great job of humanizing the subject and saying that um it's okay to remember david foster wallace as a as a funny writer and an interesting personality that 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 transcends just the the narrative around his life and death yeah the, the work has to stand on its own i think every like look that goes for everything you've got to separate the art from the artist the athlete from what they do on the field, things like that. The show is about sort of kind of looking beyond just those base narratives. So, but uh, yeah, it didn't feel like the kind of week to come out of that conversation and do a deep dive on whatever we usually like to deep dive on. <laughs> so, right. yeah, there you go. And with that, we will see you next week. The lights just went out. We know we're getting kicked out. Lights literally just went out. I'm terrified. Still do our shoutouts, though. No, you know. We should still do the shout outs. David Foster Wallace also wrote a book about rap. So right. oh, interesting. Well, let's just get out of here. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to say uh, shout out to my boy Uzi. Uh, yep. Def Jeff. The legend. Little Swanee. Meech, Yo. Ron Mack. And my other cousin, Ron. And the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal. Booty rappers. Stay booty. Now.